1: This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion
2: advised. It was a very surreal experience. And the more I stayed there, the more nervous I became.
1: Her messages to him were about hiring him to literally come and kill her parents after making threats of killing them a few days before.
3: The rest was a blur. I couldn't even remember getting into the taxi, but I, I, I do remember falling down the stairs and she was above me, laughing at me. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales
4: of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events.
1: This is Disturbed.
4: Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you 5 true horrifying tales that will frighten and disturb. So sit back and listen close, as we dive into the horror. Now one thing to mention before we get into it, if you listen to the show on Spotify, And I know many of you do because it's our largest listening platform. Well, there's a cool new feature out on the app. When you go into an episode of Disturbed on the Spotify app, you can now leave a comment with your thoughts on that episode. You'll also be able to see other people's comments as well. It's a pretty nice new way for listeners to engage and give their thoughts on each episode. So if Spotify is your app of choice, go ahead and leave us your thoughts on the episode. Now then, let's carry on. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Ask Me About My Tie, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And we encounter the singing lady.
0: I live in Florida, and this incident happened about three weeks after Hurricane Irma. Now, the July before, my ex and I had just finalized a divorce, and I moved into a gated neighborhood where every house was rented out by the same rental company or landlords. All 15 houses are bordered around a man-made lake, with the backyards facing the lake. But no one really has a fenced backyard. When you walk out your back door, you see the lake in front of you and your neighbor's backyards on each side of you. Now, everyone in the neighborhood seemed very close. You know, someone was always hosting a family-friendly party or barbecue or having people over to watch sports. I was, and still am, depressed about my divorce, so I never partook in these social gatherings. The only person I got to know was my next-door neighbor, Steve an active Navy soldier with a huge love for guns. Steve is the true hero in this nightmare. My daughter Alice is four years old, and I get her every weekend. Alice's bedroom window faces the backyard towards the lake. I uh, spoil that girl to death. She truly is my everything, and I count down the days to the weekend every week just to be with her. That's why I was upset when Irma came, and I had to go almost three weekends without seeing her. The weekend before the storm, she was with her mom. Then, obviously the weekend of the storm, she was with her mom. Then, on top of that, the weekend after, she had to be with her mom because my power was still out. And no AC in Florida is miserable. I mean, the humidity was so bad that week that I slept in my daughter's room the whole time because she had the only room with a window that faced the lake. I opened the window, exposing just the window screen, so the wind from the lake could cool the room as much as possible while I slept. Eventually, the power came back and Alice started visiting me again like normal. And that was when the nightmares started. My daughter would complain about the singing lady and how she doesn't like her anymore. I-, I thought maybe she was referring to one of my ex's friends or one of the teachers at her school. You know, maybe there was a teacher at her school that sang to the kids that she didn't like. That Saturday night, Alice woke up in the middle of the night screaming bloody murder. I ran into her room and turned on the light and I found her hiding under her covers. I asked her what was wrong, and all she could do was point to an empty corner of her room and say, Look, look. But there was nothing there. She was acting as if she saw a ghost. After I calmed her down, she started to talk about this singing lady again. Please tell the singing lady not to come back. Please, Daddy, make her go away. I mean, obviously she was having nightmares, right? I showed her that there was nothing in the closet, nothing under her bed, and there's nothing to be afraid of. She calmed down and went back to sleep. I went back to my room and quickly fell back asleep too. Couldn't have been more than 20 minutes before Alice comes running into my room screaming, She's back! She's back! Alice absolutely refused to go back to her room, so I let her sleep with me. The next morning, Sunday morning, I took Alice out to breakfast and we stopped by Target to pick up a baby monitor. I haven't used one since her mom and I were still married, but I wanted to easily be able to hear her if and when she started having these nightmares again, so I could respond quicker. After I set them up, I showed Alice how they worked to give her assurance that I could hear her and she was safe. Well, that night, she slept soundly, didn't make a peep at all. Well, the following weekend, Alice had to stay with her mother again because she caught a stomach virus from one of her little friends at school. It was Saturday night, I was sound asleep in my bed. Around 2am is when I heard it, a woman's voice humming a soft nursery rhyme through the baby monitor. The humming, soft singing got louder and clearer as the voice got closer to the monitor. I wasn't dreaming. I could hear a woman softly singing lullabies in my daughter's bedroom. Look, I've never been so scared and dumbfounded in my whole life. I was feeling a mixture of pure terror and disbelief. Then the voice spoke out. "Alice, sweetie, are you awake?' Adrenaline shot through my veins. I jumped out of bed and locked my bedroom door. I picked up my cell and called Steve from next door. He didn't waste a second. As soon as I got off the phone with him, I heard him storm at his back door, screaming, Don't you fucking move! I ran outside and found him aiming a shotgun at a woman, crouched outside my daughter's window, the one I had left open after Irma and never closed. Steve quickly dropped his guard when he recognized the woman. It was Jean, the neighborhood maintenance woman. Steve's wife came running out after him and confirmed it was her, but... Jean played dumb. She said it wasn't singing and didn't even know my daughter's name. She said she was near my daughter's window because she was doing her weekly patrol for gators and thought she saw one approach her house from the lake. But bull fucking shit. She was singing, and she called out to my daughter by name. Yeah, it's true that there have been a few gators spotted around the neighborhood, and it, yeah, part of Jean's job was to patrol the lake at night every now and then, but at 2 a.m.? I obviously knew it was bullshit, and even though neither Steve or his wife called her out on it, I could tell from the look on her face that they didn't believe her either. Well, the next morning, I went over to Steve's house to thank him and tell him exactly what happened. He told me that Jean and her husband had been known to be a little cuckoo, but this is by far the craziest thing to happen so far. Steve uh, helped me install metal bars on Alice's window that afternoon.
5: Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer.
4: Up next, we hear from Reddit user Z4160, featuring voice work by Kiona Bashful Echo, and we have a creepy encounter in the forest.
5: First post here. This just happened about one hour ago, so my memory is fresh. First off, I am living very rural, in a small village with maybe 10 to 15 houses, but close to the highway. You can drive there within maybe 5 minutes, and also about 10 minutes away from town. If you cross the street, it just takes you about a 10 minute walk to reach the forest. First Christmas day. In the afternoon, my partner and I decided to go for a little digestive walk, as we were really stuffed from all the food. It was about 1700 hours and already dark when we left, and we had a big and bright LED flashlight with us. I also took my camera and my flash, as I love taking pictures of nature at night. We decided to walk on a little country road towards the forest and then turn right, following a small graveled cycle track close to the forest border which connects our village and the next, maybe 15-20 minutes walk between the villages. In the middle part of the track, you have to walk through a small bit of forest, It's rather dark and the trees are very high and quite dense. When we entered, I saw a flashlight reflecting on something and recognized a car being parked there on the side of the track, close to the trees. This struck me as odd as cars are not allowed to drive there and the path is very narrow and hidden, so I was a bit cautious. My partner pointed the light inside the car and it seemed to be empty. I also noticed the windows were frozen so it must have been parking there for a while. A bit in front of the car, I spotted a tree with an intriguing structure, and I asked my partner to point the flashlight towards it so I could focus better and photograph it with my flash. After I took a few images, my partner told me, Um, there is someone standing behind us in the middle of the road. He's looking at us. Nobody was following us the whole way. I kept looking around and behind us occasionally, because at this time in the evening, and close to the border of the forest, there are boars sometimes. And it's mating season, so they are more aggressive than usual. Indeed, there was a man standing behind us, staying out of the flashlight's reach. He wasn't saying anything, just standing there and facing us. At first, I thought he might be startled, as it may seem a bit weird if someone's just taking photos around your car. It was not even legal to drive on that path with the car. I decided to get up and confront him from a distance, explain to him that I was just taking photos of that tree he didn't react and just stood there. I then went on to ask him if he needed some light, and he replied that that wasn't necessary. It was odd, but I was still calm, sure about there being a normal explanation for his behavior. Nonetheless, my partner and I decided to just get the fuck out and followed the path leading to the next village. It was maybe five to seven minutes until we reached it. I remembered the letters on his license plate, not the numbers though, unfortunately and googled it, and it turned out that he was from a city about six hours away from our village. Mind you, the country I live in is in a very strict lockdown right now, so you are only allowed to travel, even by car, if you have very urgent reasons. After we reached the first lantern of the next village, we looked back and observed the car driving a bit out of the forest, turning around, and going back inside. I was able to see that he parked there again and turned the lights off. He didn't leave the forest. We then went home on a much longer way than initially intended as I didn't want to go back there for obvious reasons. Our flashlight battery died on the way and my phone battery was low so I didn't want to call the police back then but I called them as soon as I arrived home and gave them all the details. Big regret that I didn't memorize the whole license plate but it was just so surprising that I seriously didn't think about it. Also, it only occurred to me as really strange when I thought about the frozen windows and that he could impossibly have walked behind us, plus him having no light and not responding. He did seem to be sneaking up on us when I sat down to take the photo. I think I was very lucky to have my partner, the camera, and the bright light with me. I don't want to imagine what could have happened if I was alone." When I told my housemate, she theorized that he may have been spying on the houses very close to the forest border, as you can easily look into their backyards without being seen. You have to walk a bit up the hill and further, about five minutes. I think it's likely. I had the thought of photographing the car when I entered the forest part of the path, but somehow I felt unwell about it and decided not to do it, despite it being an interesting scene. In hindsight, I believe this saved me as he must have been hidden behind the trees close to the car and forest entrance. If he was really planning a burglary, or worse, dumping a body, I think it's not unlikely he may have attacked me if he realized I had a potential photo of his car with a recognizable license plate. So, creepy guy sneaking around in the forest? Let's not meet.
1: Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app.
4: Next up, we're checking in with Reddit user Tanya Hylian, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we have an unexplainable bathroom glitch.
2: So this past winter, I, 27 female, went with my mom on vacation to a very small town in the middle of a huge ecological park that consists of kilometers upon kilometers of desert. It's not the first time we've gone there on vacations. We just love how calm and quiet it is, the beautiful scenery, and the kind people who live in that town. Now, since it's a very small town, there's just one hotel with five rooms and three bathrooms. Two of the three bathrooms are inside the restaurant that's attached to the hotel. And to get to them from any of the rooms, you have to pass various sets of doors. Because of this, at night we only used the other bathroom, which was a metal door on the other side of a small patio. I remember that first day at the hotel I went to the bathroom, and when I tried to close the door, I couldn't close it fully because there was a crack on the wall the door was attached to. There had been an earthquake a few years prior, which was probably the culprit for this crack. Since the last time we'd stayed at that hotel, many years ago, it wasn't there. As a result, we had to tie a string from the lock to a nail in a wall inside the bathroom in order to close it. And even then, it never fully closed. It annoyed me. But we weren't paying much, and we were the only ones staying at the hotel anyways. Well, here's how the glitch happened. It was our third day staying at the hotel and we had just come back from a walk up a nearby mount, very small, the walk barely lasted an hour. It was still fairly early at night, around 10pm, and my mom said she was going to get ready for bed. I told her to go ahead because I wanted to stargaze for a little while, taking advantage of the cloudless sky. I did so for about half an hour or so before deciding it was time to also get ready for bed. I went to our room got my toothbrush and toothpaste, and then went to the bathroom. As soon as I stepped inside, everything felt off. I reached for the light switch, but it wasn't there. I searched for it to no avail. And then, when my eyes got used to the darkness, I saw it was on the opposite wall, the one that had a crack. Except, when I turned on the light, I realized there was no crack. As so, I was able to close the door perfectly and there was no string or nail to tie it in place. It was as if it was an entirely different bathroom, but everything else was the same. The tiles on the walls, the slightly rusted mirror, the cheap-looking head shower, the white sink with a pink soap. Everything was the same as I remembered, except for the cracked wall and the light switch. It was as if, for the time I took to wash my teeth, I was in an alternate timeline, In which the earthquake didn't happen, the wall didn't crack, and the light switch wasn't moved to another wall. It was a very surreal experience, and the more I stayed there, the more nervous I became. So I hurried up, turned off the light, and pretty much sprinted towards my room. My mom was already asleep, so I decided not to bother her, but it took a while before I could sleep, because I was feeling very unnerved. The next day, with sun now illuminating everything, I went back to check on the bathroom that had scared me so much the previous night, but it was exactly as it should be, crack and all. I haven't been able to make sense of this situation, despite how much I've thought about it. you're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror.
4: Next up, we hear from Reddit user CL Cliff, featuring voice work by and Maushal, And we meet our witchy friend.
1: These events happened over several months in 2016, when me and my sister, then 16 and 14, first moved into our most recent apartment complex with our mother. We now call it the apartment complex from hell because there were so many incidents like this. Admittedly, we were still into the hoverboard craze then and would ride them around. This is how we met Savannah. She was our age and lived in our building. She asked to hang out and we were happy to hopefully make new friends so we said yes. We hung out outside the complex at a little park area. It got dark and we started making up ghost stories. Turns out, she liked creepy paranormal stuff like we did. Note, I did not actually believe in this stuff and still don't. Every time I reference the paranormal, it is hyperbole. As we were walking home, the light in one of the apartment hallways flickered, and I joked and said it was a spirit trying to communicate with us. Savannah made up a flash-once-for-yes-twice-for-no system to communicate with the spirit, and we messed around a bit. We thought it was just harmless fun. The next day, she runs over to us excited. She informs us that the spirit we had met last night told her its name was Karen and that it meant light, so it all made perfect sense now. We asked her how she knew, and she said she went back later that night alone to talk to it. This was the first time it occurred to us that she might have really believed in this stuff. Our aunt had given us an old Ouija board as a joke the year before, and we thought Savannah might like it. Savannah lit up and she said she wanted to try to talk to Kieran. So we huddled in the hallway connecting the apartments and put our hands on the board. We kept getting random letters that didn't make sense, but soon Savannah's questions were directed to Kieran. We felt her moving the planchette and called her out, but she got mad and said she'd prove it. She took her hand off the planchette and it no longer moved. She just huffed and insisted it wasn't her. Over the next few weeks, we did mostly normal stuff with her, but she kept talking about the ghosts and Ouija boards until we broke down and played it again. This time, we were introduced to a new ghost, Evan. We knew it was Savannah moving the planchette, but we were curious about the story she was telling, so we let her follow through. Evan was a ghost, or demon rather, about our age who wanted freedom from a greater demon controlling him. That greater demon's name? Kieran. Savannah's parents called her inside and conveniently Evan had to go too. He told us he'd protect us against Karen, especially Savannah. Savannah commented on how cute that was for him to offer. A few days go by normally, but then Savannah's back to tell us she has a boyfriend. We are happy for her until she tells us his name is Evan. We're wondering what the hell she's talking about and she explains that while sleeping over at another friend's house, Something had tugged off her shorts while she slept. She'd woken up and heard Evan's voice. Then he'd visited in her dreams and asked her to date or something like that. She'd said yes. Of course, we know she made up Evan, so we're kind of like, what is wrong with you? And we don't want to talk about the demon stuff anymore. Now, Savannah was extremely possessive over her friends. When she'd see us with someone else, she'd text us nonstop about why we hadn't invited her. We tried to keep a safe distance, but she lived on the ground floor and literally watched out her window waiting for us to come outside. She'd latched onto us. We didn't know much about her home life, but she always seemed troubled. She had scars on her wrists and talked about running away from home. Her parents seemed all right, if rather strict and religious. We still hung out with her because we were worried, but we were starting to feel weird about it. Worse, she'd randomly show up holding her hand out, saying Evan was holding her hand. She'd look at random things and laugh when no one was talking because Evan had told her a joke. Once, she made us feel her cheek where it was supposedly warm from Evan kissing her. It was not warm. One day, my sister and I were bored from her talking to Evan on the Ouija board she was still controlling the whole thing, and wanted to have some fun. So I texted my mom to call my phone from a blocked number and play creepy sounds. Looking back, this was one of the dumbest things I did. But at the time, it was just for fun. My mom made the call and I put it on speaker. Savannah is living for it, especially when my mom played a track from a scary movie about a ghost. My mom took it a step further and threw a banana off our third story balcony for us to see. Savannah said it was a sign that Kieran was winning. We had no idea of the fire this would light in her. We were about to tell her it was a prank, but again, her mom called her inside. She found us again the next day, and I came clean about the prank. She laughed and said there was no way we could have done that. I said, No, my mom literally did all of it. Well, Savannah had told her friend about it, who told her that yellow objects, like the banana, were a sign of the devil and seeing them meant the devil was hunting you. This was all she talked about for a while, but since nothing else happened, she gradually forgot. Things went back to normal for a while, until Autumn moved in. Autumn and Savannah connected instantly because of their history with depression. Autumn was a few years younger than us, but had a hell of a lot more of a past. This included significant time spent in psychiatric facilities and violence towards her classmates and family. Autumn claimed she heard demons talk to her at night, and just like that, the ghost stuff had started again. Savannah felt threatened by Autumn and felt the need to one-up her with the ghost stuff. She told her Evan was her ghost brother that looked out for her. I was like, ''Hold on, you claimed he was your boyfriend.'' She giggled and said, ''That's gross, he's my brother.'' Her story had completely switched. Now she was dating another demon named Jacob, and they were engaged. She even showed us the ring to prove it. The next week or so was literally like a match between them to see who was the darkest and most involved in the spiritual world or whatever. They compare scars on their wrists and brag about cutting themselves and doing things like sneaking out at night. In a move to one-up Autumn, Savannah drew a giant pentagram in the parking lot with chalk. Her parents found out, and she backed out and blamed it on Autumn. The next freaking day, people came to repave the parking lot. The pentagram is now buried under it forever, literally. Savannah moved on to saying her friend had found Jacob's body and was going to put his spirit back inside it. Savannah continued to take advice from this friend, who fueled everything she did. Savannah now said the friend was teaching her witchcraft. We mostly avoided her at this point, but she'd ask us to do things like make holy water with her and try and summon her a familiar. From that point on, she insisted she was a fire witch and walked around wearing all black with Halloween-like makeup on her face. She and Autumn frequently snuck out together, and occasionally we'd see cop cars at her house. My sister and I were avoiding them both, but now we get fiery texts from both of them if we hung out with other people, especially our guy friends. Once, they saw us get home and stood in the parking lot pretending to be possessed. Autumn also cut off all of her hair and claimed to have tried to kill her teacher. My sister and I knew it was bullshit, or at least we hoped, but Savannah took it so seriously. She'd go around telling neighbors of terrible crimes she committed or wanted to commit, She'd even told us that when she'd first seen us outside with hoverboards, that she'd wished for them to blow up. One day, we again saw the police come to her door, and the officers had jackets that said they were from the juvenile justice department. Her mom pulled me, my sister, and our mom aside to explain what was going on. Apparently two years before, they discovered Savannah talking with a man online. Her messages to him were about hiring him to literally come and kill her parents after making threats of killing them a few days before. We were able to confirm the story after pet sitting for them and finding court papers about it. We'd known she was on probation, but she'd always tell us different stories as to why. Savannah continued to beg us to hang out with her after that, even inviting herself to spend the night. We avoided her at all costs, but she'd follow us everywhere. It kind of died down when Autumn moved out and Savannah moved with her family shortly after. Since then, she's started doing service hours at a horse stable and graduated high school. I really hope she's gotten happier and more stable. Autumn messaged my sister a few months ago, asking to call her mom to confirm she was with us. She wasn't. And we later saw her with a 19-year-old dude. She's 14 now. Me and my sister and my mom have moved as well. There were too many incidents in those apartments. Our new place is so quiet and peaceful. But to Savannah and Autumn, let's never meet again. You're listening to Disturbed from Disturbed Media.
4: And finally, we close out the show hearing from an anonymous Reddit user... Featuring voice work by John Patnode. And we barely
3: survive our Tinder date. This was November 2016 in Glasgow, Scotland. I was desperate, I must admit. I'd been single and alone for some time, and it was driving me crazy. That's when I met Laura. She came across as a very sweet girl and all, but she was in a hurry to meet me. So, I did. She insisted we go to a pub. No fancy dates were necessary to her. I didn't mind this. At first glance, I knew I'd been swindled. She looked different from what i saw before, but I didn't mind. I was just happy to have a date. I'm not exactly good-looking myself. I gave her a chance to redeem herself. We got talking, and after a few beers, things started to get more intimate. I'd asked her about her hobbies and interests, etc., but she asked me to talk more about myself. I told her about my job, she yawned sarcastically. Let's talk about your sex life, she said. She had slipped her foot out of her shoe and started rubbing my groin with her bare foot. Needless to say, I was aroused. So yeah, I didn't have much to say in that department, as it had been a while since I had sex. I was very honest with her. I asked about hers, and she said she has her kinks and that she's done things that I'd never have imagined. Want to see what I can do? She said. Let's go to my place. So at this point, I was starting to feel very drunk, which I was amazed at as I was only on to my fourth pint. I I did have two shots, though, and I put it down to this. We'd waited for a taxi. She was holding my hand, excitedly whispering into my ear that she was going to do some things to me that I'd never experienced before. In a way, I actually couldn't wait to just sleep. My head felt heavier than the rest of my body. It was like the ground was moving beneath my feet. The rest was a blur I couldn't even remember getting into the taxi, but I I, I do remember falling down the stairs, and she was above me, laughing at me. "'Come on,' she said. Get your sexy ass up here." I struggled up the stairs, and before I knew it, from what I remember, I was in her bedroom naked. It was like I blacked out. I tried to sit up, only to find myself tied to the bed by my arms and legs. I was deeply aroused, but confused at the same time. She performed sex acts on me before having full intercourse. I lay there delighted, don't get me wrong, but something still felt off about it all. I had dozed off for a bit, and I'd been woken up by a weird screeching sound. "'What are you doing?' I'd said as she was wrapping up my legs with saran wrap. "'Hush now,' she said. This is the best bit. I was no longer tied to the bed, but I felt very numb, and I couldn't move my arms and legs. She kept wrapping me up from my legs upwards. I was screaming at her to stop, and she had placed some saran wrap in my mouth to shut me up. I was struggling to breathe at this point, and had tried my best to dislodge the ball of saran wrap from my mouth. Eventually, I was totally wrapped from head to toe. I could barely see outside the saran wrap. She told me that this was my punishment for being terrible in bed and that she has many other victims just like me all wrapped up waiting to die. She left the room and I gave out some muffled screams. Then I felt myself slowly fading away. I woke up to what was now the next day, now able to breathe. This time there were people looking at me. They'd removed most of the saran wrap and had resuscitated me. I wasn't aware of this till they told me It had turned out that I wasn't actually in Laura's flat, but an old-fashioned hotel. The police were all over me asking me questions about what had happened. I attempted to show them her Tinder profile, but she had deleted the page. I am grateful to my rescuers that had saved me, but forever traumatized by this incident, and I end up with panic attacks when I see people that are similar to her. It took me a few years to finally trust people enough to go on dates, but I am still on the road to recovery mentally. I'm just glad that I'm still alive, but wondering if she's still out there, and if there are others like me that didn't make it.
4: Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. And a big-time thanks to all of our newest Patreon supporters, Kala Turner, Michelle, Melanie Romo, Melissa Harper, Ashley Smith, Anthony Jewett, Sharon LaFam, Tara Flores, Mish, Ali Gomez, Kayla Bergstrom, Carrie Yeager, Chris Deutsch, Michael Fauthevong, Shayla Morin, Gina Southard, Paula Andel, Victoria, and Danny Brown. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.AG. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.